I have been pondering a lot with the time they've had on my hands about the last few months. And uh, if you rewind four months ago, uh, we were coming back from an amazing holiday in Durban with some incredible friends. And we arrived back after a two-hour flight at uh, our Cape Town International Airport. And if you've ever traveled with uh, some toddlers, it's an interesting journey. This is not easy travel. This is not push the seat back and relax time. This is all hands on deck. It feels like World War II uh, or whatever war you want to name in there. But it's crazy. It is really a, a remarkable thing to come out of that alive. But I remember landing at the airport and coming with the two toddlers and, and they were a little bit out of sorts because we'd messed up their routine, probably fed them way too much sugary treats. Things were, emotions were running high at that moment. And then we started to pack the car from the, for the journey from the airport to our home. And with all these incredible memories of this beautiful holiday of laughter and fun and great family moments, they almost were, went out the door immediately as I started to pack that car. Because in that, in that car that day, we had to fit one times mother-in-law, one times wife, two times toddlers, two prams, two car seats, two camper cots, and myself, plus several bag bags for my wife, and then several bags for the rest of us. And we had to fit this all into one car, and things got interesting in that moment. All of a sudden, it seemed like the incredible way we had packed to go to the airport seemed all out the window because now this car was crammed full of things. I volunteered just in the middle between the two toddlers and, uh, and I had a, a pram wheel in my face, two bags on my legs, my wife, I couldn't see her because she had a couple bags over her and things were crazy already. And just as we hit the freeway, we had left the, 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 the small roads leading out of the airport and we got onto the freeway and all of a sudden it was at that moment, my three-year-old decided it was a time, if I can say it plainly, to make a poo. Yes, I've just said that on a preach. But she, she did this and it was, this was a big one. This is one that she'd been carrying for a long time. This was not just some carry-on luggage. This was something that was big, that was being deposited. And very quickly, the smell filled the car. And all, all of a sudden, I, I'm, not, I'm not a man who deals well with those sort of smells at the best of times, but in a confined space, things got crazy. It was just a couple minutes later that our 10-month-old, or at that time, six, seven-month-old, uh, decided it was a good time to vomit. And so he vomited, and those two smells colliding, you can just imagine uh, the pungent aroma. And it wasn't just a happy vomit, this was one that brought much tears. And when I say he started to cry, he started to cry. It was full on screaming that would not stop. And I tried to placate him, and the more he cried, the more our, our little girl Olivia started to cry. The smells, the noise, this was huge. All of a sudden, a migraine started to pound in my head as my wife tried to give me suggestions of how I could calm the, the, the two toddlers. Nothing was working. To find a choice. Can you get the dummy from the floor? I can't even move. I would tell her things got crazy. The headache came. The, I started sweating, and, and I just suddenly realized I thought that, that trip would never end. It seemed the longest trip I could ever imagine. I, I can envision if somebody wants to know what hell would have felt like. I think there was a small microcosm of, of, of understanding what eternity separated from Jesus would feel like. I, I might be an extremist in that moment, but but I really believe it was a moment that actually can translate well into our moment here. At today, probably minus the, the toddlers screaming and, and making a mess over all the, 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 the clothes and the car. But I really believe in that moment, I remember getting home and making a vow, we will never go on holiday again. And it might have been an extreme statement. It might have been a, moment, a momentary lapse of, I was not a, the cool, calm, collected person that you all know and love. Um, but actually in that moment, everything just, I, I flipped out. I could not handle that moment. 
And I think it is, as I mentioned already, it is a small microcosm of, I think, what we're facing in a grander scheme of things. Why? Because actually so often when we're stuck in a small, confined space and things are going haywire and we're not too sure how to control our emotions and we feel, how will we ever get out of this moment and what will this, this moment do to our lives, we very quickly forget what God has done and we lose perspective on what is to come. And I want to take that theme and drive into our hearts this, this moment together as we gather around the Word of God because I really believe God wants to bring clarity of sight as we lean into the Scriptures together. He wants to bring sight, though we cannot see and though we cannot understand what is going on, though we maybe have confusion all around us in terms of jobs, relationships, the economy, the world future, health, and we're confused. I believe, though, it's time for us to be able to see clearly what God is doing and calling us to at this moment so we do not lose sight of what He has done and what is still yet to come. So why don't we turn to Scripture? If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. Mark chapter 10 is where we're reading from. In verse 46, this is what it says, reading from the New Living Translation. It says, Then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, meaning son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, Tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, Go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see and he followed Jesus down the road. Why don't we pray for a brief moment? Father, I thank you as we gather around your word. Would you come and by your Spirit's power, would you lift burdens? Would you lift shame? Would you lift eyes? And ultimately, would you lift horizons so that we can see what you see? I pray the famous prayer that Paul prayed in the book of Ephesians. Would you open the eyes of our heart today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What I'm wanting to help us navigate and introduce us to in this moment is something that I would love to call blind faith. And the words blind faith can often be given a bad rap or given a negative connotation. But uh, blind faith can often seem like, you know, we just, just leap without knowing the circumstances or just taking, just do it. And, and who, who cares what happens? But I want to bring it into this uh, situation and this environment that we are facing at the moment. And we are like never before needing something like blind faith, a faith that does not see what is going on, but yet still believes. And I want to help us navigate this thing called blind faith and give it as a gift to us and for our hearts at this time by uh, taking us to the story, this often well-known text about a man named Blind Bartimaeus. But before we get into that, I want to help us understand the three ingredients to blind faith. Number one, the first one will be this. We need to get a new sense of desperation. Desperation. Let's dive into that story. We introduced to a man named Blind Bartimaeus. And I love how the scriptures in brackets tell us that that name Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus. Bartimaeus. That means he's the son of a father named Timaeus. But what is so huge there that we have to understand is that that name Timaeus literally is me means, is translated, uncleanness. So Bartimaeus from the get-go is named son of uncleanness. 
talk about carrying the past with you and moving into your future with baggage from your past. This is a, a man whose life was literally named after the failings and the shortcomings of his, the generations preceding him. But not only that, we very quickly understand that by colloquially he's become nicknamed Blind Bartimaeus, Blind, Unseeing Son of Uncleanness. That's because he does not have sight in the natural. And this has been something that we, as we can gauge from the text, something that's plagued him for most of his life, for a very long time. But I love, as I read this, I realize we understand that his very identity had been defined by his circumstance. It had been defined by his shortcomings, by his deficit, by where he doesn't measure up. And we find him in this narrative stuck on the side of the road with life literally just passing him by. And you see, his very routine, his very things he did day after day was then determined by his circumstance, determined by his history, determined by his condition, his routine of begging, of taking the same posture with eyes down, just hands outstretched, potentially shaking a cup and having the same speech on, 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 uh, that had been learned deep into his heart. He'll say again and again and again, he'd become a fixture at that place that people knew this is who he is and this is what he was. He was defined in that small space, blind son of uncleanness. But I love the fact as we navigate our, our way through those six or seven verses that despite his circumstance, despite his routine, there came a day where a sense of desperation takes hold of him. And this day was unlike any other day. There was a large crowd passing by, a large crowd passing by and following a man named Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, a, a man who was claiming to be the Messiah, a man who was doing remarkable things and incredible teachings and, and, and miraculous power was coming from him. And a large crowd followed him. But I love the fact that a large crowd were following Jesus, eyes all on Jesus. But that day, none of them were able to apprehend him. Only one man was able to, a man named Blind Bartimaeus was able to grab the attention of Jesus in that moment. And, and, and that's what I love. You know, as, as the crowd are passing by, as he hears Jesus coming, Bartimaeus says this. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But I want to give us a brief pause in that moment to give you a very deep English lesson. If you are a literary scholar, you want to lean in because this is going to be really tough to follow. Stick with me for a moment. If you read the Bible correctly, it says this, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, exclamation point. So if we are to read it correctly, this is not some uh, polite moment where he just said, excuse me, can I have a moment? Can I put my hand up? Am I allowed to say something? No, no. This is a moment above the hustle and bustle of the crowd with all the crowd and all the noises and all the mess and the excitement of that moment. Blind Bartimaeus interjects in that moment. And this is the correct way to read it. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And, and he screams. There's an exclamation point there. And I, I want to say, uh, so much of our lives, especially at this current moment, with jobs, with pressures, with the future uncertain, with coronavirus, whatever you're facing personally, and the torment of your own soul, uh, most of our lives have question marks. But I want to encourage you today that actually Jesus is not looking for questions. He's looking for desperation. People who will lay a hold of him and call on his name with faith in this moment. We say it often again and again. We are, have the option of either being a thermometer or a thermostat. And, and the difference of, between the two of those are huge. Thermometers measure the temperature. They sense the temperature around them and they just, that's what they, they say what the temperature is. Thermostats, on the other hand, set the temperature. And as I read this story, there is one man front and center named blind son of uncleanness, despite his circumstance, despite the condition of his life, despite the background of his story, in a moment, he faith erupts his heart. He says, I'm going to be a thermostat. I'm going to determine the temperature of this moment. 
It's something that comes into his heart that uh, one, one writer once in, in, in modern day times calls a holy discontent. A holy sense of frustration grabs a hold of him. Says that actually, though this may be where I am, I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to call out and reach for something bigger. And it's something huge because actually, I think in these moments, it's too easy to settle in a place of despondency, settle in a place of despair. Though they're legitimate emotions, I believe there's a higher, higher emotion, a higher statement of fact that we have to reach into and grab a hold of, especially as Christ follows in this time, in this place. You see, I, I really believe if God can't stir your heart at a time like this, if He cannot move your heart and you are, are almost stoic in your response to Him, I want to say maybe you're, you are more blind than you first thought. You see in the story as we read it, the crowd, blind Bartimaeus and all this interaction there, Maybe blind Bartimaeus wasn't the truly blind one in that moment. Maybe he was more aware of what was going on than the rest of them. You see, the Bible tells us that the hungry shall be filled. And, uh, and we say it again and again, that actually, uh, this is, faith needs to grab a hold of our hearts. There's a story of a man named Billy Graham that I tell often, I love it. But actually, Billy Graham, who's become a voice around our world, a name that is renowned because of his preaching gift and had a huge influence in the 20th century uh, into uh, Christendom and around the world, but his story starts, if you read his biography, of when he was a young student and they were praying with a group of friends and they were crying out to God and they were all praying God for revival to break and God to use them. And his wife-to-be was in that, in that situation at that moment. And she said, recounting that moment years later, she said, all of a sudden I couldn't see Billy, but I could hear his voice. And she said, I realized at that moment, Billy was lying face down in the grass, beating the soil repeatedly, saying, God, do something great with my life. God, do something great. He had no name, he had no title, he had no ministry up to that point, but there was a sense of desperation that determined his future in that moment. I want to say today that blind faith demands desperate prayers. And you'll only know a desperate prayer if you've ever faced a desperate situation. A few years ago, when our little girl was just about one, one years old, we gave her something called a peanut butter ball. And uh, peanut butter balls are, are, are gooey, are sticky, are, they're delightful, they're delicious. But we gave it to her, she ate it, and then we put it down for a nap. And all of a sudden, as we closed the door, we started hearing a choking sound. And, and as the panic set in, as my wife and I ran back in, and, and our little girl could not, was gasping for breath and couldn't get that peanut butter ball out, and I'm plunging fingers down her throat, and my wife is trying to phone uh, emergency numbers. All of a sudden, my prayers are not these well-formed, thought-out things. They're not these liturgically beautiful uh, words that are put out in, in a, in a well-formed fashion. No, in a desperate state, I was saying, God, help us! God, help us! And I want to tell you that God is listening for those sort of prayers. He's listening for desperate hearts. We will reach out and apprehend Him at this time. A sense of desperation has to lay hold of us. I say to you, sir, ma'am, wherever you find yourself, rouse your hearts to lay a hold of Him in a fresh way. Second point, second ingredient to blind faith in this moment. Sense of desperation, but secondly, a sense of expectation. You see, it's so hard. I, I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to have a sense of expectation when I'm not too sure what's coming. But I, I want to just keep reminding us though of the bedrocks of our faith at this moment is that faith in itself honors God and God honors faith. That's the currency of heaven. And that has not been removed despite our circumstances. God is still operating on a currency of faith. That is who He is from the beginning and who He will be till the end. Scripture tells us again and again that when the Son of Man returns, will He find faith on the earth? Will He find faith in our hearts? Hebrews 11 says this way, it says, faith is the evidence of things unseen. 
I love that. I've underlined that word unseen because it reminds me that blind faith is actually the only faith there is. Faith that is unseen. Faith is what saying, I don't know what will come, but I'm going to still posture my heart in a sense of expectation. And that's what I love when Jesus comes and, and he interacts with blind Bartimaeus, a man who's been defined, son of uncleanness. But he, he calls him up and says, he asks blind Bartimaeus this question. He says to him, blind man, what do you want? And what a silly question to ask a blind man. I, I, in my logic, I can think. But you see, in this moment, most of us would have offered the blind man and what was seen as kindness to him in that moment, offered him a new coat, potentially offered him a new mat to sit on, maybe give him some, uh, some shade of his head or a meal or maybe some money for a shelter that night. That would seem like the a logical response to him in that moment. But Jesus comes to him and says, blind man, what do you want? And I love Bartimaeus' response. He says, my rabbi, I want to see. And it's so profound. I can imagine if Jesus asked his church, his people right now, what do you want? And I don't know what you would put in that. And I'm not going to suggest any answers, but I want to drive home at a sense of expectation because Jesus meets us at our, uh, our point of faith, not at our point of need. That is clear all the way through Scripture, that He meets us at our point of faith, not our point of need. And we have to understand this moment because actually I believe that as doors are being shut in the physical, hearts are being opened in the spiritual like never before. There has never been a greater time to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and meet receptive hearts. People are questioning. People are ask, answering. And actually, this is the greatest setup in our modern day history I can, that I can remember for the gospel to be preached. This is the time for the church to have an expectation for something different. You see, I believe as we look with eyes of faith, when we, when we see sickness, our hearts should start to not get so morose. And I say this with absolute uh, kindness, but actually we should see it as an opportunity for healing to come. I still believe it. We are still a people who believe that Jesus heals. When we, when we see and hear loneliness, I want to I say, do we see, when he said, what do you see? Do you see it as an opportunity for community to reach out, to phone someone you haven't phoned for a long time, to make right with people? It's an opportunity for the gospel. When you see disappointment, it's an opportunity for a fresh ground for hope. And ultimately, when you see graveyards, I believe that it's a setup for the resurrection. We just have to look at the pinnacle of our faith. When Jesus died, what seemed the darkest day in history was actually a setup for our greatest day. And that is what, where we find ourselves in, in this moment. I want to say in this moment, blind faith doesn't just respond, it expects. First ingredient, desperation. Second, expectation. And finally, in this moment, we need to have a sense of growing revelation. As I prayed at the beginning, Paul prays, in Ephesians, for the eyes of our hearts to be opened. And now this time, I'm praying it again and again and again for us as people. With our eyes of our hearts, when the eyes of the natural are seeing social media feeds and negativity and fear and anxiety, are seeing retrenchment papers, are seeing bank balances being emptied, are, see, are, are not seeing any of their neighbors and friends as they wish they could have, I want to say we have to have our eyes of our hearts opened like never before. And that's where I think we need to have a sense of revelation this moment and deal with this elephant in the room called fear. And I want to give us an exchange. Would we exchange fear, maybe the fear of man, fear of circumstance, fear of the future, for the only true fear that we are supposed to tether our hearts to? And that's the fear of the Lord. You see, I love in that moment as he started to shout out, Have mercy on me, son of David! Have mercy on me! 
the crowds, they'd quiet him down and they try to quiet him down and shush him and, and keep him under control. And the enemy at this time will try and do that with your faith. He'll try and do that with your life. He'll say, you know, maybe another day, another time, just needs to get head down, get through this time. Or let's, let's just resort to depression. Let's resort, let's we fall into the traps that the enemy is laying openly before us. The voice of the enemy will be loud. We now need to allow the voice of the Lord to be louder still at this time. Allow his voice to become loud because I want to tell you in this moment that what we fear is what we are subject to. I'll say it again. That which we fear is that which we allow our hearts to become subject to. In this moment, I want to say God is not stressed. He is not anxious. The whole world is still in his hands. And when we get a fear of the Lord, the fear of God Almighty, it replaces all lesser fears. The fear of failure, fear of future, fear of being found out, the fear of man's opinion, fear of rejection, fear of insignificance. All of those are driven out when we get a, our eyes are open to see him high and lifted up. And the train of his robe is still filling the temple. He still holds the heavens and the earth in the palm of his hand. And actually not one hair of your head falls out without him knowing. He knows the situation. He knows the big and he knows the small. And the world is still in control in his hands. We have to have an understanding, a sight to see that, and eyes to see. And when your heart grows frail, say, Jesus, let me see you and have a fear of you, God, besides all these other fears. I love the fact when Jesus says to him, uh, call that blind man to me. They say, cheer up, he's calling you. And in one moment, in a man who's been sitting on the floor begging for years, in a moment just from one voice of his, of his Savior, one voice from the Messiah, he leaps up to his feet and the scripture says, he threw aside his coat, jumped up and came to Jesus. I love this moment that blind Bartimaeus at this stage of the story, he couldn't see, but he still obeyed. He couldn't see, but he still obeyed. And isn't that the greatest commendation to us at this moment? Though we cannot see, will we be a people who still obey? I say it this way, you want more revelation? You want more insight of who God is? You want to see him more clearly? Obey what you already know of him. Obey what you already think he is calling you to do. In this moment, take a step of faith and watch him open up the way for you and I. The eyes of our hearts will be opened as we step out in faith. But I love the fact that he throws his coat off. He says, I'm not going back. And I think there's something that needs to grab our hearts here. Even though we are confined in the physical, we do not need to be constrained in the spiritual. This is a time for the church to be unleashed like never before, for our hearts to become freer than ever before. This is our moment Church, this is our moments, sons and daughters of the living God. And I love the fact that blind Bartimaeus gets and receives this healing. The scales from his eyes fall and he's able to see. I can see. All of a sudden, blind Bartimaeus, blind son of uncleanness, he almost needs a new name. The artist formerly known as Blind Bart gets a new name, gets a new future, a new destiny because he responds to Jesus in a season of smallness, in a season of confinement, a season of blindness. He's able to respond and get a different story. You see, Proverbs says it this way, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A better way to, better translation says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of true sight. Oh, I love that. The fear of the Lord is the way to see life clearly. Though there's a haze in front of us, though there's lots of confusion, though the fear of the Lord is the way to see things as they truly are. You're overwhelmed, sir, ma'am? I understand it. So am I at times. But I want to tell you, don't fear COVID-19. Don't fear isolation. 
Don't fear recession. Don't fear the job loss. All of things, those things are real. And God sympathizes. He, brings, he comforts the brokenhearted. He's near to those. But I want to tell you in this moment, don't fear them. Fear the Lord. Anchor your heart to the fear of the Lord in this moment. Anchor your heart to blind faith. Though we don't see Him, He is working. Though we don't feel Him, He is working. He never stops. He never stops working. That's who He is. We sing it, but we need to believe it in our hearts. I love how the story culminates with blind Bartimaeus getting his healing. But in, in the book of Mark, you see the, uh, the writer so clever. He, he, he bookends that story with another story called the rich young ruler. And I love blind Bartimaeus. Though he's blind, though he's got a, a, a past that is uh, disastrous behind him, son of uncleanness, he still gets a different future. He, we even know his name. But the rich young ruler had everything but refused to bow in desperation, refused to have a sense of expectation, refused to have the eyes of his heart open to revelation, he goes away sad. The two are polar opposites. And I say, which one of the two was truly blind? I would say not blind Bartimaeus, the one who was truly blind was the rich young ruler. As I land this together, I, I can't help but recall the start of World War II. I, I love history, I love that type era of history. But in 1938, September 1938 to be exact, with World War II brewing and rumors of war growing and growing and growing, the British Prime Minister at the time, Neville Chamberlain, came back from a, a peace, trying to, trying to establish peace with Adolf Hitler. And he comes back and he has this, this infamous speech, which he called Peace for Our Time, coming back saying, don't worry, I've negotiated with him and Hitler's, uh, and we've managed to placate him, there will be peace for our time. And it's a, it's a speech that has become so almost laughable as you think about the ramifications. A leader in that moment negotiating with what we can call a terrorist, negotiating with Adolf Hitler, trying to just bring peace and placate the situation and just keep things normal in the status quo. But there's another man that preceded, that came after him, Winston Churchill, the next prime minister, and he is famously quoted in response to Chamberlain's speech about peace for our time. Churchill defiantly said, you cannot reason with a tiger when your head is in its mouth. Churchill put a, his foot in the, put a, a stake in the ground and said, I am not going to go and negotiate with the terrorists. I'm not going to go and negotiate with the Third Reich. We're going to meet him head on with war. And in that same breath, I want to tell you which name is remembered. The rich young ruler or blind Bartimaeus. Which name is remembered? Neville Chamberlain or Winston Churchill. Which names will be remembered at this time? The people who sat back and said, woe is me and succumb, succumb to the situation. Or people, though the circumstance said one thing, we said we see a different situation. We see a different future. And I want to say in this moment, don't make friends with fear. Don't make friends with apathy. Don't make fear friends with anxiety. Don't make friends with them. Don't allow them to come and settle in hearts. In this moment, get a desperation in you. Get a sense of expectation for something greater and ultimately get a revelation of the God most high so that your eyes can see Him and your future clearly because your future does not rest in the economies of this world. Your future does not rest in the hands of man. Your future does not rest in the disease, a cure for a disease. Your future rests in the Lord Almighty and that fact remains and remains forever. Can we be a people who anchor ourselves in blind faith, anchor ourselves in a sense of a fear of the Lord? And I believe if we do that, though thousands may fall on the left and our right, we will not be shaken and our future will start to be opening up in front of us. I want to land by reminding us, what do you see? What do you see? And I pray that God would come in His mercy and His grace and start to give us sight in this moment. Why don't we pray together? Jesus, in this moment of fragility, 
a moment where we have never been more aware of our insufficiencies, our inadequacies, where we fall short, we have, feel almost powerless. Powerless to change uh, our financial situation, powerless to change uh, our economic situation, powerless to change the country, change uh, this, this, the state of emergency, the state of lockdown. We, we're powerless to change the fate of this disease and, and the way it will carry out in front of us and the ramifications of that. But God, right now I thank you, you're reminding your church that we are not powerless with what truly matters. We're not powerless over the state of our hearts. So Father, I thank you right now as we come to you, Jesus, Son of David, the, the Messiah, the one who gave his life on the cross on our behalf, who died the death that we deserve so we could live the life that we would never earn, but the life that is found in you alone. I thank you, Jesus. We come to you with humility, but with desperation, with expectation, even if it's the size of a mustard seed in this moment. And we say, Jesus, open the eyes of our hearts so that we may see you. I thank you. Would you come and do this by the power of your blood right now? Now, thank you. Silence every voice, every fear, every anxiety. Silence it right now in Jesus' name. And may your voice be the only voice that dictates our future. For our futures lie in your hands. And we place them in your hands today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.